Welcome to the Manor. Welcome back to the Twin Terrors, macabre manner of mead, metal, and mayhem. I'm Jody. And I'm James. And whenever five or six English-speaking people meet around a fire on Christmas Eve, they start telling each other ghost stories. Nothing satisfies us on... Wait. Wait. We've talked about anecdotes about specters and graves and dead bodies and murders and blood before at Christmas time. Yeah! Like, I think I've done this quote past two years. <laughs> you have. I, I know you need I have. new material. <laughs> oh, wait. No, that's old. That's old. That's old. <laughs> that's, oh, here we go. Here's some new stuff. <laughs> All right, we're good. Okay. <laughs> I actually listened to all of our Christmas episodes within the past couple of weeks, so I'm like, huh, I should just keep doing that. <laughs> Brilliant. Genius. So, before we get a move on and into the actual episode, what are you drinking? I am having a um, Anderson Valley Brewing Company Winter Solstice Seasonal Ale. Oh, that goes perfect with tonight's episode. I thought so. <laughs> oh, how is it? It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, I, I gave it a three and a half out of five. Cool. So not, it's not my favorite, but it's, uh, it's, it's pretty good. It's enjoyable. Very cool. Three and a half out of five on uh, what the, the app that shout out to be named. Yeah, yeah. Until they start paying us. Cheap <laughs> 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 <Each> sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we should probably contact them about sponsoring us. Because <laughs> you know, that might be a help. <laughs> Bastards won't sponsor us. Have you asked? No. No. <laughs> that sounds like work. <laughs> yeah. Would you like to guess what I'm drinking? Old Fezziwig. That's a damn good guess, you bastard. How'd you know? <laughs> Because you had some left over from last year? I, I do. Actually, last year I bought two cases of the winter mix pack from Sam Adams, and I still kept one. And I'm glad because I always drink the old fuzzy wig when we talk about ghost stories at Christmas. Uh-huh. And this year, you fuckers, the full yeah. fuzzy wig's not in the winter pack for like the first time in I don't know how long, like 10, 15 years. Uh, long enough that I decided I wasn't getting Sam Adams mix pack this year because they didn't have old Fezziwig in it. I, I know. I may get a sixer of the winter lager and that, that'll be it. I'm not, yeah, I'm not. I have an old Fezziwig for tonight as we record and I'll keep the other one for Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Nice. Oh, it's a year old, but it's still good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those that you can wait a year. I, I do have a couple of housekeeping things. Uh, after listening to last season's episodes, um, just like okay. updates real quick. Okay. Uh, nope, that's context. Um, <laughs> see, last year I mentioned I started the first volume of Alan Court's Victorian Ghost Stories. Uh-huh. Finishing it this year. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you, you had mentioned that there are three volumes, uh, but there are four. New one came out. Oh, okay. I'll have to look for that one then. So there's a fourth one now. And I mentioned wanting to watch Martin Freeman's ghost stories. And I did last year, but after we recorded, and I just want to mention that it kicks ass. Loved it. Cool. And you'd mentioned uh, Tim Martin's edition of Ghosts of Christmas Past, I think. And uh, I've got to add it to my list now to get, but I, I haven't started it. Have you started or finished it yet? 
Um, I'll be honest, I don't remember. I seem to be missing a book that I thought I was reading last year, and that may be it. Ah, could be. Should we move on? Yes. So we should. this episode is, of course, on ghost stories, but also we thought we'd also talk a wee bit because ghost stories fit in with what we consider to be the Danish Huga and the Scottish Kuri. <laughs> yes. Wintertime winter just how to keep yourself happy, cozy, sane, moving around and all sorts of fun stuff when the weather outside is frightful. <laughs> you know, and you've got weather a nice outside. fire that's delightful. Okay, I'll give you that part. <laughs> but there are places to go. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, did you make notes on either of these or were you just going to jump in when you want or how do, how do you want to? Um, I typically just jump in whenever I want. <laughs> okay, cool. That's, that's why you're not invited to orgies. <laughs> yeah, so. Damn uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> well, me neither. And, uh, life goes on. So for the uh, Huga, and uh, I've actually seen people actually write it out and say it's pronounced Huga. But then I read a Danish dude's blog, and it's like, it's not pronounced Huga, it's pronounced Huga. So um, I'm going to go with the that, Danish dude. That makes sense with the Y in the spelling. And yeah, that too. But you know how Americans are when Americans try to write shit from other countries. <laughs> we at least acknowledge that we suck. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, so pronounced Huga, you bastards. This Danish concept cannot be translated to one single word, but encompasses a feeling of cozy contentment and well-being through enjoying the simple things in life. Mm -hmm. Like eggnog in a fire, not in a fire, sitting by a fire. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of, um, no, no, never mind. <laughs> That's a little too cozy. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, nice pint of ale while you read ghost stories, you know. Mm -hmm. Or um, eating a eating a package of German um, Liebkuchen. Ooh, Liebkuchen. Mm. Like I'm doing now. <laughs> I can't find Liebkuchen around here this year. Damn it. Keep looking. Keep looking for Liebkuchen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of the coolest things I found, uh, it's a... Uh, I'm going to mispronounce your name. Sorry. Meek Reeking, uh, CEO of the Happiness Research Institute in Copenhagen, says, Huga is to Danes what Americans feel about freedom. Like, that's how ingrained it is into their natural consciousness. Nice. Yep. Similar to the German concept of, uh, and I'm just going to mispronounce it, but I'm going to use my German accent. German Lachschikit! Because I have to scream it when I do German. <laughs> and the, and the Dutch idea of, everything sounds scarier when you say it in German it does <laughs> that's why I like German <laughs> I'm just trying to say I love you that's, that's not well I don't know how to say I love you in German <laughs> I'm not going to tell you <laughs> good bastard <laughs> anyway just a a cozy little lifestyle thing where you you embrace the horrible weather outside by doing things that are cozy wherever you can and just enjoying the time away where you can relax and 
be chill a little bit. Yeah. And uh, I guess it's it's been a key part of Danish culture since at least the early 1800s, like especially by that term, mm -hmm. uh, when the first word appeared in their language. And uh, they think it could be derived from Norwegian word for well-being or possibly Norse cognates with, with the old English cognates ranging from giving courage, comfort, joy to to think, which I, I can see all those because you can, uh, you know, you're cozy. You're all wrapped up in a blanket with your pint, just thinking of things and reminiscing. Mm -hmm. Yep, I can see all that being true, fucking philologist. <laughs> well, and, and you know, um, which episode did we just record where we kind of hinted that we were going to talk about something like this? So um, I, I was going to, before we do that, because yeah, we did. Um, yeah. I was going to see what you had on Hugo before we talk about Curie. Not a lot. I did read up on it and uh, I don't, with, I guess without even knowing it, that's always kind of how I've thought. <laughs> you know, um, always, always kind of enjoyed those things. Well, I mean, you know, most people would, but um, I, I don't know that it would be for me maybe as you know you were, you were saying like to them it's kind of ingrained in like like uh, freedom is for us and i don't know i guess to me they're kind of maybe close together <laughs> i don't know which one i would say would be more yeah like i i think most americans deal and try to do this when they have to but i you yeah. know some of us like us actually embrace it and and you know actually actively appreciate it yeah I don't know. You you kind of you kind of said we'd we'd cover that a little bit later. So I'll wait. <laughs> well, soon. I was going to go yeah. to Curry because both of those do exactly what you said overlap with the episode we just did. Yeah. Um, so Curry. Although although I, I did find something on Curry that I want to after after you finish I, I I've I've read an article about it so. Oh, okay. Um, I'll, I'll let you do yours first. So I've you got four little bullet points. Pretty easy. Okay. Uh, first one is just a quote from author of the book, The Art of Curie, Gabriella Bennett. And she says the word is used to describe a feeling of cool contemporary Caledonia, which is all awesome, plus it's alliteration. And one that looks forward while also paying respect to her oldest traditions, which harkens back to us constantly talking about how the Scots invented the modern world. Yeah. So I, I like that aspect of Scottish people are always looking forward and trying to make a better place but without losing their traditional feel for things. Second little thing is the aim is to lead a quieter existence where the endless pursuit of work is balanced by small pleasures. So kind of swapping the anxiety and stresses of the modern world for something simpler, kind of like that. That's kind of work-life balance that Americans don't always do the best at. Mm -hmm. And then uh, unlike Huguet, which is more of a cozy contentment, Kuri is about embracing the outdoors and that will overlap with what we're saying. Yeah. And then a uh, fellow advocate, and this is journalist Anna Perskulov, and this is where I don't know where I took this from, so is that who you have? Nope. Oh, cool. All right, good. <laughs> um, she discovered Curie when she moved her family of four from London to the Scottish Highlands for a better quality of life and says, Curie is about embracing all things Scottish in order to have a sense of deep happiness. Yes. But yeah, I, I, I'm ready to go into the overlap with our previous thing, but you said you have things. I, well, I, I do. I, I found this article in The National, which is the newspaper that supports 
an independent Scotland. So I, <laughs> I, so I like it already. And this article was by Leslie Riddick. Uh, and this was from, uh, I think, 2018. According to her article, the query was kind of something that was made up by Bennett. <laughs> And 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 uh, visit Scotland's website. <laughs> now I agree with it. I mean, I like the I like the concept. Yeah, this 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 article from uh, gives an alternate view of it. Are they against it, or are they just saying it's made up? Pretty much just that it's made up. She's not necessarily against it. Okay, because I actually thought it was new, like because I'd known about Hugo for several years. Yeah. Oh yeah, I had too. Yeah. Yeah, just a year or two ago is when I discovered the Curie thing, so I didn't know yeah. how new it was. And yeah, okay, so it's made up. I still like it. <laughs> well, I do too. Yeah, I I do too. Um, it's just it's it's something new, and and she kind of goes into how most um, most Scots they live in the city, so they don't really get out into nature much, and you know that kind of has to do with going back to the history of when they were pretty much kicked off of the the land they had by the by the English so Fucking English yeah yeah I like the concept though <laughs> yeah even um, if it's made up like recently recently made up I mean yeah religions are all made up everybody still follows those now that's true that is true concepts such as Hugo and freedom Fucking were made religion. up eventually by somebody so <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but no, no I mean I like both of these concepts um uh, you know, I mean, who who doesn't want to feel snug and and cuddled up and you know, <laughs> uh, no kidding, comfortable. Uh, well, that's why I like both because I like the yeah. comfortable when I'm inside and comfortable. Mm -hmm. But the Scottish thing of about bracing the outdoors, especially in the winter time, and you know, and that's I, what we talked about last yes. time. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah, because it was our. Because uh, I just remembered which episode it was. <laughs> it was the glamour of the snow, um, and and we talked about that. And and it's these are a couple more reasons why I like this time of year, because uh, you get to, and you can do both. You can sit inside, curled up on the couch with your with your ale or your hot cup of cocoa, with a blanket and a good book, with a fire in the fireplace, and you know, you spend your time that way or it, not such a great day for it today because it was rainy, but, um, yeah. I, you know, I like to go out at night when it's dark and, and do my, my daily walk then, uh, you know, especially when it's a, a cold, brisk night, you know, when, when the air is colder and the temperature's, you know, lower and it's just, I, man, it just feels to me it feels great oh yeah i went for a hike today and it started off in the mid 30s and was per like i had a just a long sleeve shirt and a fleece on and yeah it was when she started moving i warmed mm -hmm. up quite nicely and it was beautiful and then like by the afternoon it was in the low 50s and i mean that's actually still a nice brisk day but yeah damn, i take my fleece off and it started to get hot <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh I, you know i mean if you do it at night if you're in the right area you can see the stars, you know, yeah. and the moon, and uh, it's just, there's, and, and to me, there's just something about this time of year that's more magical than, than it is throughout the other three seasons of the year. There's a crispness 
and a clarity that comes with less plant life clogging up the atmosphere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, uh, yeah. what, what you said. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've also listened to podcasts about how our sense of smell affects memory, but they talk about how wintertime can emote big things because th- there's not plant life. Like the plant life will mm-hmm. send out so much crap in the air that we just get inundated, especially in the later spring, in the summer, and early fall. But by yeah, wintertime, yeah. all of it's gone. So you, uh, you can smell the atmosphere. So it, anyway. <laughs> I have a cookie in my mouth. Oh, okay. Then. So in that case, I'll finish what I said. So that's why I didn't respond. That makes sense. <laughs> Damn leave cooking. I I found out that it's supposed to snow here tomorrow. So nothing hmm. would, it still will. And I found this out yesterday. So last night I worked a few hours and earlier today and tonight, I'm going to work a few hours. So that way tomorrow I'm all caught up on work. And I'm going to go hiking in the snow. And I'm so looking forward to that. I'm looking forward oh, to nice. that as much as the dude from Glamour of the Snow. Yes. I already well, forgot his name. I almost said Billings, and I know that's not right. No. Uh, <laughs> Hibbert, I think. Hibbert. Yeah. No, I actually had that last year. We did get a little bit of snow, um, I think in December, maybe early January. And, uh, you know, it's 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 rare that we get more than one snowfall a year if we even get that and if we do it's usually not more than a couple inches so i mean it it really wasn't much it was probably maybe half an inch of snow but it was enough to you know cover up the grass a little bit and and it's you know um that night i went out walking in it and it was so quiet it was so peaceful and it was awesome (laughs) showing again how jody and i can easily be kidnapped by the winter witch from the story we talked about <laughs> last week yes come play in the snow with me forever <laughs> okay <All right. laughs> sounds good <laughs> but yeah yep that's so yeah hibbert had he had the whole day yeah especially had the curry with embracing the outdoors but he was cool with all of it he yep oh yeah he liked to go traveling abroad in the winter time mm-hmm Anyway, I, I'm, I'm ready to move on whenever you are. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so I, I talked about doing an episode on Christmas in America where it used to be a huge drunk fest and still might do a full episode, but just wanted to mention a few things because they tie in with things we talked about. Uh, but Christmas in America is kind of odd because the Puritans hated it. Like Although, the Puritans. As, <laughs> <laughs> as Jody will happily point out the Puritans do not have the oldest settlement in America. <laughs> no, that would be Jamestown, not Plymouth. So Puritans, they don't even want Christmas. And we, we didn't have Christmas for quite a while, like a, a, because they didn't want to make it, well, kind of like people complain now, it's commercialized now, but they did not want to take away from the spiritual aspect of Christmas by making it a festival type celebration away from church. Yeah. It ended up being a drunk fest anyway, where people just got really drunk like you can find things from before the revolution through after and that's why you had uh, and i'll talk about the group of people if we ever do this episode but you have the sketchbook of jeffrey crayon gentleman from washington irving that we mm-hmm. jody and i both mentioned in a couple of halloween episodes this year yep. uh, written 1819 1820 and a visit from saint nicholas by clement clark moore in 1823 and it's it's their way of 
taking some, I mean, even Washington Irving brought some of these Christmas things back from England when they weren't actually using those <laughs> things in England at the time. So a little bit of cross Atlantic back and forth yeah. <laughs> to get where we are. But, but yeah, they, they wanted to make something family friendly and make a, an American culture, which is the thing we'll talk about later, but they, they, they have this thing. And, and this is where it overlaps with our Curie and Higia. It, it's, it takes us and makes it family friendly where you want to be like Christmas is a come together as your family, be comfortable, celebrate it and have a good time with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a good point. Cause I think that was always one of the other things that I, I always enjoyed about this time of year. You got to see the family a little bit more extended family cousins and some of the aunts and uncles I didn't get to see as much and yeah. you know, just stuff like that. Yeah. I usually didn't see mine. I mean, I might've seen one of my closer cousins in the summer, maybe, but otherwise mm-hmm. I didn't see some of my cousins, aunts and uncles, except at Thanksgiving and Christmas, but there you get it like, and then even like a little smaller subset of that at New Year's Eve. So within, yeah, I got to see everybody three, four times. Yeah. And of course, Jody and I also, you know, between the occasional whiskey, eggnog, rum drinks or whatever we may be making. <laughs> both, we get the, the happy, not we, I don't, uh, not a drunk fest, but you know, there's drinking involved with both the family and just sitting around and it's a nice overlap of the drink and the family and the higi and the cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, one of my favorite things is when the family gets together and we play games, including spoons, which is for our family be semi full contact. So we, we've been doing Kuri before it was Kuri. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I do want to make a quick point before mm-hmm. I forget. Clement Clark Moore, the author of A Visit from St. Nicholas, there are some people who say he's not the author because it was initially anonymous. There's somebody else, Livingston, who uh, people say this dude named Livingston wrote it. But I have a couple issues with that. First, some uh, researchers will use statistical methods to show that Livingston wrote it based on his writing. I've done analyses like that before. I looked at these and they're flawed and they're bullshit. You shall be ashamed of yourselves. (laughs) <laughs> your sample size is small and your standard error is big and you should feel bad about yourselves <clears throat> but also and this will go with something jody's talked about man i'll tell you I, if you don't get the connection i'll tell you uh, and you'll see it right away but nobody even brought livingston into it until like two generations later by then livingston himself had died and almost nobody from the next generation down was like really around to talk about it so it was two generations away who really brought up the issue and that's the same damn thing when people bitch about Led Zeppelin with either Randy California or Jake Holmes. You, you didn't say anything at the time, so fuck off. <laughs> yeah, yeah let's, let's wait 30 years. Yeah, yeah I have an idea. Uh, Led Zeppelin has officially won that suit with uh, Randy California's family, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, a few months ago, right? Or- yeah, yeah, I think it, uh, what, did it get appealed all the way to the Supreme Court and they kicked it back down? <laughs> <laughs> which pretty much ended the deal. Yeah, once it gets moved back down, yeah, it's it's, it's pretty much dead. Either either kicked back down, or they just said they're not taking it up, which means the yeah the appeals court is the last word, or yeah, yeah. Something. So so Zeppelin won that one. <laughs> uh, anyway, anyway, ready to move on? Yeah. All right. So as we've mentioned. Another aspect of Hugo in the winter for us, 
going along with the reading is Ghost Stories at Christmas. Ooh. Oh, that's spooky. Ooh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Love reading them. Love watching Like BBC does adaptations of them, which some are, fa- I've, the ones I've seen are fantastic. They're even hard to find on BBC America for me, but they're, they're good. And, and, you know, MR James, we've talked about, and we'll talk about more in the future. Yeah. Kicks ass and, and again, Actually, I'm, I'm going to mention him here in a minute, but not, Ooh. not something that he wrote. I, I'm just going to mention him. Okay, then. <laughs> so, yep, as I mentioned, I'm finishing up that first volume of Victorian Christmas Ghost Stories. As we're recording, I've only got a, I've only got one and a half more stories left. But since I only read three last year, I think I'm just going to read those three again and just read the whole book. And, and keep in mind, you don't have to finish by Christmas. The whole Crimbo season goes up through Twelfth Night, which is January 5th. That's right. So, and even January and February has some dark, spooky, late, like, Light night comes early and stays late, and you know it's there's just no better way to spend a dark evening with the days becoming shorter and the season full of pagan attributes to read Christmas ghost stories. <laughs> yep. And and I, I will say most of the stories I've read do have Christian tones, but they're stories for everyone. So whether you're Christian, there's nothing that's going to bother you. If you're not Christian, don't think there's anything that's going to bother you. You know, just yeah. They're, and they're female writers who do sort of a Jane Austen style thing and. And there's some cultural commentary about what's going on in society, but you know, it's, it's good stuff. Yes, it is. And I had some context things, but I'm gonna take a drink. If you want to say MR James or whatever, or jump in with whatever you have, or, or just eat another cookie while I take a drink. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I've, I got, uh, I got a couple of uh, sections from these stories I was going to read. I, Ooh, well, can I didn't you know if you had, yeah, no, I, I just, I didn't know if you had more to, to talk about, about uh, ghost stories, or if you were ready to jump into the sections we were going to read. I, I do have just a few things. Okay. And, and these I picked up because I've read pretty much the whole Valancourt uh, thing now. And, and the editor's great. There are little things at the beginning of each story that tells you the background of where it was written and some of the societal, cultural context. So it's really good. Yeah. Uh, but some of those things made me think of other things. And uh, I was going to mention a little bit. So Victorian era, per Encyclopedia Britannica, was from 1820 to 1914. So, you know, overlapping her reign of 1837 and 1901. Mm-hmm. Kind of started with Christmas Dickens, uh, Charles Christmas, <laughs> Christmas Dickens, a Charles Carroll. <laughs> Being a ghost story for Crembo. <laughs> Uh, but he, he wrote that in 1843, but he actually did the story of the goblins who stole a sextant, which is a Christmas ghost story in 1836, you know, so seven mm-hmm. years before that, and he had the haunted man and the ghost bargain and, and, and more. So he was big in there. Uh, mentioned Jerome Klapka, Jerome, you know, that's who the quote was from at the very beginning of the episode. So he mentioned mm-hmm. him. Some of these stories, you'll see they overlap with certain things such as the Industrial Revolution, yep, yep. which is uh, 1733, 1913. And I kind of like this because the ghost stories also are used as a way to both poke at things they found wrong with it, like Dickens, but also to keep humanity sort of, like people worried about things becoming too industrialized. So just like the folk revival we discussed, the British folk revival in our folk episodes, is another mm-hmm. way of 
pushing back against the dehumanization of industry. As a, as Interesting. A, yeah. And the ghost isn't always supernatural. Sometimes it's mm. a, a story, but, you know, kind of like a Scooby-Doo thing where they find out who did it, you know, who the ghost was. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping this year to see Martin's Close, which was last year's BBC ghost story for Christmas, but I couldn't get it in America because it was last year's new one. Hoping to see it again this year because it also stars Peter Capaldi from Glasgow, Scotland, who, who probably likes Koori. Um, but he was the 12th Doctor Who, and he's stars in it. Oh, cool. Of course, there's also Adam Smith, one to mention for context. He wrote his big thing on economics, the inquiry into the nature and cause of the wealth of nations in 1776. So by the time of the Victorian era, they were using some of his ideas pretty ingrained deeply. And you can see some little discussions of that in there, you know, like where the aristocracies, I, I butchered that word and I don't care. The <laughs> Aristocracies? Yeah, the aristocracies. Go play on the Calliope. 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 And the Penelope. <laughs> but, See, I, I was trying to pronounce it wrong and it started to come out right. <laughs> See, that's what I should do. I should always try to pronounce it the old way and maybe I'll say it right. <laughs> like playing darts when you're drunk. <laughs> Aim to the right. <laughs> you're the right. <laughs> Whoops, sorry, man. <laughs> but yeah. They have some cultural things about that in there too. And Adam Smith, by the way, Scottish. Yep. But anyway, that, that's that's what I do have. And other than that, Jody and I have a few little paragraphs or snippets or I don't know how much Jody has. I've got a few paragraphs from, from some of the stories to give you the spooky flavor. Ooh. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> Would you like to go first? My, my, one of the, yeah, one of the stories I read, the, main character was calling his friend in there constantly what was it good fellow uh, so <laughs> i've decided to start using that term a lot so so my good fellow would you like to go first or would you like me to um i can do you want me to because i've got i got some stuff from two stories you want me to do both or do you want to take turns uh, <clears throat> let's take turns okay i was hoping you'd say that <laughs> <laughs> so I've i've got a little uh a little bit here from a story called The Ghost's Summons by uh, Ada Buison. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, this, was, uh, this was published in actually in January 1868. It's about a guy that's hired by another guy to um, attend to somebody on his deathbed, and it turns out that it's the guy who hires him. So it's called The Ghost's, Ghost's Summons as in, you know, the, the summons from the ghost. I could not even hear a breath from the bed, and I was about to rise and approach, when again that awful horror seized me, and at the same moment my eye fell upon the mirror opposite the door, and I saw, great heaven, that awful shape, that ghastly mockery of what had been humanity. Was it really a messenger from the buried, quiet dead? It stood there in visible death clothes, but the awful face was ghastly with corruption, and the sunken eyes gleamed forth a green glassy glare, which seemed a veritable blast from the infernal fires below. <laughs> mm, yeah. 
Actually, that's what's one of my favorites. So far, that's one of my favorite stories, even though I don't have a snippet from it. I love that. It was a really good one. Yeah. <laughs> and I know who the being is. Ooh, want me to say what me to say? Uh, you can, yeah. No, screw it. You all fucking go read the book. <laughs> right, so my first one is from the story Bring Me a Light, a ghost story. And it doesn't give the author, it says that it was published in once a week, a periodical from 1859 to 1880. It goes into things. But anyway, I, I do tend to dig the ones where there is an actual ghost. Rather yes. Than like a Scooby-Doo ghost. Watch her. Whispered a voice in my ear, a voice that stirred my hair. I did watch her. Would to God I could forget that vision. She, the woman, the fiend, bent carefully to the floor. As though to set right something amiss in the border of the fair bride's robe, I saw her lower the flame of the candle and set fire to the dress of the smiling, trusting girl. Ere I could move, she was enveloped in flames, and I heard her wild shrieks mingling with the low, demonic laughter of her murderess. I remember suddenly raising the gun in my hand and firing at the horrid apparition, but still she laughed and pointed with mocking gestures to the flames at the writhing figure they enveloped. I ran forward to extinguish them. My arm struck against the wall and I fell down insensible. And if I may explain what this type of thing is, uh huh. Sir, what you have there is what we refer to as a focused non terminal repeating phantasm <laughs> or a class five full foaming vapor, a real nasty <laughs> one, too. <laughs> <laughs> and we can always put it back in the ballroom. <laughs> We're on a special today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that actually has a reading a couple of these because some of them are in the story it's in a house and anybody who goes to the house will see that so it happens yes. like every night so it's and then when i was reading it i'm thinking that sounds just like ghostbusters yep that's, that's ray i didn't i didn't think of that when i read it but yeah you're right that does um yeah that was that was another really good one from the book i thought all right would you like to go yeah um so my second one here, I've got a, because the book I had, that didn't actually have any background on it. <laughs> oh, <there's that. laughs> um, so this is, um, uh, let's see, this is a story that was published in 1912 by E.G. Swain. Um, and it was, it was published in a book of uh, a collection of short stories called The Stone Ground Ghost Tales. Um, and they all kind of take place around the same area uh, it's, it's around a church and a parish on the edge of the Fens in eastern England. And the main character is uh, Reverend Roland Batchel. And uh, so this, this is from a story called Bone to His Bone. The moon by this time had passed out of the south, and the library seemed all the darker by contrast with the moonlit chamber he had left. He could see nothing but two blue-gray rectangles formed by the windows against the sky the furniture of the room being altogether invisible. Groping along to where the table stood, Mr. Batchel felt over its surface for the matches which usually lay there. He found, however, the table was cleared of everything. He raised his right hand, therefore, in order to feel his way to a shelf where the matches were sometimes mislaid. And at that moment, whilst his hand was in midair, the matchbox was gently put into it. Such an incident could hardly fail to disturb even a phlegmatic person. And Mr. Batchel cried, who's this? Somewhat nervously. There was no answer. He struck a match, 
looked hastily around the room and found it empty as usual. There was everything, that is to say, that he was accustomed to see, but no other person than himself. And, and this, um, even though this was not from like a collection of Christmas sto uh, ghost stories, um, or I don't think it was published around Christmas time, it actually, this story actually does take place on Christmas Eve. So. Yeah, yeah, that is a good point. Like most of the stories, some of the stories in the book don't take place at Christmas, but they could be told at Christmas. Right. But yeah. there are a few that actually take place at Christmas tide, like Christmas tide, whatever, you know, from yeah. a couple weeks before to a couple weeks after type of thing. Yeah, because I, um, I just, I read one today in the, in the Valancourt book that took place in September. Uh, but it yeah. was published around Christmas, so. Yeah, the one I'm reading right now takes place in September by uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, actually. Oh, well, that's not the one I just read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, there are a couple. Uh, there's Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. There's uh, the Walter Scott, the famous Scots poet. And yeah, Arthur. yeah. So you get some famous people in here. I like that. That's good. I like that. Mm -hmm. That was a good story. I have two more and not a whole lot of, like, the, first, the next one. Uh, I'm not going to read much of the actual weird happenings, but the okay. way the author describes the location it takes place at is really cool. It's, it's called The Story of Owl's Abbey. So it, it takes place at Owl's Abbey, which is an old Gothic ruin, and mm -hmm. talks about how much fun people will have in the summer and in the daylight. And they'll go picnicking and, and things and hunting and, you know, quailing and everything. Yeah. But when winter stripped the fading trees and beneath the cold winter's moon, the runes looked ghastly white and skeleton-like in their leaflessness. There was no villager hardy enough to venture even at sunset into the dismal abbey, and as to passing through it by night, though the shortcut to many places lay thereby, that was out of the question. And why do you suppose? Because the simple villagers would have it that the abbey was haunted. <laughs> <laughs> and haunted's actually in all capitals, even though it's in small font type. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, so anyway, that's that sort of gives you an atmosphere type of thing. Yeah. But did you you said you only had those two? Yeah, I, I just had the two. Okay. Uh, so I've got one more, and this is actually not from Valancourt. This is from Jerome K. Jerome's Told After Supper that I've mentioned, I think the past two years. So I'm going to give one more because I just love this shit from him. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'm probably going to read it again this year because it's short. Every Christmas Eve, said my uncle leaving with low impressive tones the strange odd silence that like a shadow seemed to have slowly stolen in and settled down upon the room. The ghost of the sinful man haunts the blue chamber in this very house. There, from midnight until cock crow, mid wild muffled shrieks and groans and mocking laughter and the ghostly sound of horrid blows that does fierce phantom fight with the spirits or the solo cornet player and the murdered weight assisted at intervals by the shades of the German band, while the ghost of the strangled harpist plays mad, ghostly melodies with ghostly toes on the ghost of a broken harp. Nice. Blah. I think I've read that story. What was that? Yeah, you did, because uh, I know we mentioned it. That's uh, one of the, the chapters in uh, Jerome K. Jerome's Told After Supper, the, the Blue Chamber. Okay, yeah, yeah. That was I, say, I, yeah. Thought, I thought, yeah, the Blue Chamber sounded familiar, yeah. Yep, yeah, you have that. We both have that short story in a collection of short story books, uh, in a book of collection that we have. Yeah. And, and I'm going to mention, too, to harken back to a previous episode, so get your drinks ready. One of the drinking things. 
Cock crowing is a ward against evil and supernatural things that we discussed Halloween, or Halloween 2019 in regards to vampires and such. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. So, suck at vampires. <laughs> no, that's not a crow. <laughs> no. Oh, and I forgot to mention that um, E.G. Swine was a friend of M.R. James. He was, they, they were, uh, Swain was one of the guys that James would get together with every year and would read the ghost stories that they had written for Christmas as a group. Cool. So, yeah, I wanted to, because I said I'd mention M.R. James again, and then I forgot to. <laughs> I forgot to ask. When you brought that up, I'm like, oh, good. <laughs> One of us remembered, and it wasn't me. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's what I have. That's what I have. Well, I think we're set then. All right. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I, this this will come out well, the second Friday, so not super far. And it yeah. gives you all plenty of time to read some ghost stories at Christmas and mm -hmm. share your show your appreciation for us telling you about these again by liking us on Facebook or sharing our podcast where we can be found at iTunes and Spotify and Podbean and <laughs> and, and many other podcasting sites. Yeah, them things. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter. We're on Twitter. Oh, yeah. We're on Twitter. Yes. Right then. So until next time, ooh, I'm yeah. Spooky James. Ooh. And I'm not as spooky Jody. I disagree, my good fellow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> no, about time. <laughs> So then, though, we'll talk to you later. Bye. The Macabre Manor is brought to you by the Twin Terrors. All rights reserved. Stay tuned for some fun outtakes. It's already pissed off enough when they got rid of the cranberry lambic, even though it wasn't really a lambic. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not. Not any more difficult than it is to crack the hard-boiled egg before you make scotch eggs. And yet, <laughs> one of us... <laughs> <laughs> anyway... Or the stack of CDs that's sitting in the way of some of the book spines, so I don't know what's sitting over there. Uh. <laughs> I'll go and hopefully I won't step on your toes, because that would not be very Hugo-like. That's true. Although I'm also thinking that if I if I ban the alcohol, then that means people will go home sooner. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still want to see them, but at some point you have to leave. Okay, now I'm done. <laughs>